This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. I always say that it's not like you have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other people who are outrunning the bear. <laughs> and if, if you're, so the bear attacks someone else and not you and you got to safety, right? And I think that's kind of what we're dealing with. You're listening to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Today, how not to get eaten by a bear, the digital kind. Let me explain. A few weeks ago, our listener Susan found an odd message in her inbox. One morning, I got a request from Facebook saying, such and such person wants to be friends with you. But the weird thing was that person was my name. (laughs) So I kind of ignored it. And then I started getting uh, emails from some of my friends. And so I went back and I clicked on it just to see who it was. And there was this Facebook page with half-naked people and my name and my birth date. So I thought, wow, that's terrible. I need to get rid of this. Susan flagged the suspicious account in a message to Facebook and then waited to hear back. And I got an email back saying, we've looked into it and we've decided it doesn't violate our community standards. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, I mean, I thought that's pretty crazy. (laughs) I mean, one, this person is sending pornographic content through Facebook. And two, this person is pretending to be me. Meanwhile, this imposter account started friending Susan's real friends. Probably about 20 of my friends were listed as friends <laughs> because they right. had, you know, they had not paid attention and they were listed as my friends on this fake account. It's worth noting here that Susan is a law professor, so she's comfortable advocating for herself, and she thought surely she could appeal this decision to someone higher up at Facebook. But she never could get an actual human to respond. At that point, I was I was really pretty irate. I, I was really, I just thought, this is ridiculous. Facebook makes all this money, and if it's going to set up systems that would allow somebody to do this kind of thing. It should have ways of fixing problems that arise. And then things got even creepier. I got an email from someone who claimed to be in my account. It said, you know, you have just become one of, I'm reading it now, many unlucky people who got hacked I think you know what's going to happen next. I, you know, I can keep doing this to you. Here's how you can put an end to this. Otherwise, I will continue to leak damaging content to your contacts and post it to public websites for perverts to view. And then it said, my modest consulting fee is 1700 US dollars to be transferred in Bitcoin, blah, blah. The fee is non-negotiable to be transferred within two business days. And of course, they sent this to me from my own email. Oh, my God. How did, well, how did you feel? This is like, you know, that horror movie, like the call is coming from inside the house. Right. How did you feel getting that email? 
Well, I I was pretty disturbed, and I um I obviously knew that the last thing in the world I should do is send him Bitcoin. <laughs> Not that I would have right. any idea how to do that, but um, but it did, <laughs> it, it 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 did raise my my level of concern even farther because I thought, oh no, this isn't a one time thing. You know, it, is this connected to what just happened on my Facebook page? Suddenly, Susan's mind started racing. She remembered something else. Something she tried to forget about. So last summer, I did have another hacking incident. You know, I tend to reuse passwords because I have no idea how you're supposed to. If you have hundreds of passwords, how do you remember them if you don't reuse them? So somebody somehow got a password into my Verizon account and and then proceeded to go into my checking account and my Amazon account and a bunch of other things. But I found that out because suddenly my phone wasn't working and I called Verizon to ask them what was wrong. And they said something about, oh, and I could see you're on this Android device. And I said, no, I'm not on an Android device. I'm on an iPhone. And so that that was a nightmare that went on for a couple of months. So I don't know if that's related to this, but maybe it is. Was Susan being paranoid? How do you know what's serious or harmless online? Those old emails from Nigerian princes are the least of our problems these days. As hackers get more and more sophisticated, it's getting harder to identify their tricks. That's why we turn to this week's expert, who joined us on Zoom, for a crash course in cyber defense. You look really weird. Yeah, I don't like to show my face online, so this is what you get. Oh, it's a little bit really blurry. Cool. You can kind of see with me, but uh, <laughs> can't see you at all. You look like a like a, a cyber creature. <laughs> all right, a cyber creature, <laughs> which you are, which you are. <laughs> the real deal, right? This is Jack Reciter. I still don't know what he looks like because he uses this bizarre zoom filter to protect his identity. Looks like static on an old black and white TV. You know, the kind that comes on right before space aliens announce they've taken over the planet. In his former life, Jack was a network security professional who helped big companies thwart cyber attacks. These days, he investigates stories about the shadowy corners of the internet on his podcast, Darknet Diaries. So on today's show, Jack's going to help Susan harden her online defenses. Susan, I bet you're a lot smarter than you give yourself credit for. And he's got tips for how all of us can protect our identities online and our emotions in real life. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. 
Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. If you ever want to feel paranoid about the internet, just listen to a few episodes of Jack's podcast. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. One thing I appreciate is how Jack brings these issues into the light. This is Darknet Diaries. Like an episode he did back in 2019 on this one hacker. Yeah, this guy found a vulnerability in 80,000 printers and decided to send a message to 80,000 printers. Uh, just to, just why not? Let's just show everyone that their printers are vulnerable. And he was in high school? Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I'm surprised he didn't get arrested, but he was willing to tell me everything after he did it, which is really surprising. And what's the, what's the harm if somebody hacks your printer? Like, what's the worst they can do? Good question. Uh, well, well, some printers you can get into uh, and 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 see the entire history of what's been printed, right? So maybe you've got <laughs> court records that you've printed or, uh, or student loans or something, right? And so right. now you've got a lot of information on there. A lot of printers actually store the entire history. Why uh, do they do that? Oh, my God. After this, I'm just throwing my printer out the window. <laughs> Who needs it, really? Well, um. this is typically <laughs> office printers, though, and not home printers. Okay. I guess this is our first insight. Nothing is safe if it's connected to the internet. But before we make ourselves totally crazy, let's get back to Susan's story and take each problem in turn. First of all, how did she receive an email from herself? It's called spoofing, Jack explains. Technically, um, there is something called SPF records that are set up in emails, which um, make it so that if you're sending an email, the origin of that email sender, who's it from, should match the SPF record of where it's supposed to look like it's from, right? It's kind of a check. Like you say you're from this uh, university. Are you actually from this university? And so some places may not have that set up properly, right? So Google has that set up properly. Yahoo has it set up properly. But you know, maybe university doesn't. And I've messed with my friends many times to say, look, you just got a letter from the president. Ha ha. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we, can, we can kind of easily um, make it look like emails are coming from our, a, a specific place that it's not. So while it's a little unnerving, it's not necessarily the end of the world. In fact, Susan's university looked into it and confirmed that her email account was still secure. But then there's the issue of her password being hacked last summer, which exposed multiple accounts and was a major breach. Susan admits she'd used the same password over and over, which is a big no-no. But in her defense, how are we supposed to remember a bunch of different unique passwords? The general suggestions today is to use a password manager. This will give you a 
way to uh, have a unique password on every site, very long, complex, one that you would never even be able to memorize even one of them, but it makes it really difficult to uh, guess, obviously. And the password manager is a little plug-in or a tool or an app on your phone or computer that keeps all these passwords. And now you just have to remember the master password for the manager. Um, and then you can just pop in the fields. Um, I have to ask you, Susan, was your password password? No, 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 no. It was, <laughs> it was a weird w- one that you know, wouldn't be easy to guess. So, okay. So you were, you were thinking you'd already kind of encrypted yeah, how, how somebody got a hold of it, I really have no idea. Okay, so it is worth spending just a few bucks a month to get yourself a good password manager. If nothing else, it'll bring you a little peace of mind. I like when I have to pay for the product because then I know it mm. um, has my best interest in mind versus if I'm getting some free security tool, who's really running this thing? Susan, on a scale of 1 to 10, how vulnerable do you think you felt uh, on your worst days with this? Probably like a seven. Yeah. And then getting this extortionate email, really. I didn't like that one bit. Were you mad at yourself? Yes. Oh, so mad at myself. Of course. Like, because I'm supposed to be on top of things. And and my friends were writing back in there, you know, telling me, you know, you shouldn't have, <laughs> you should have been more careful. You shouldn't have let this happen. You know, don't you know that you should have everything with dual factor authentication on mm. it? And, and, you know. Yeah, those two factor authentication scolds are the worst. Um, <laughs> although they're right, right? I know they're right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you're alone, which is why I'm glad that you are willing to talk about this because yeah. there is this layer of like embarrassment that actually just keeps yes. all of this under the radar, which doesn't help anyone. Here's another tip that hopefully many of you are already doing. Turn on two-factor authentication for every important account you can. This is when a site requires you to enter a second code that's been sent to your phone or email to authenticate your identity. It's a pain, but the alternative, as Susan discovered, is even more painful. This would also be a good time to double-check those social media privacy settings and lock them down. You know... In Facebook, there is a friends uh, section and there's a little edit uh, for settings there and you can click that and turn the privacy settings um, on so that nobody can see your friends except for you. And in fact, all the privacy settings you should just enable, right? It should all say only me, only me, only me. And so that way, if somebody does impersonate you, they make the same account as you, whatever, they can't see your friends. So. Now, I do think I do have my privacy settings all set as high as I can, but maybe I missed some button or something. Well, it's it's almost like we have to do it every, I don't know how often, right. because they keep changing them, right? Yeah, and uh, the unfortunate situation is that there's so much abuse that goes on on Facebook that yeah. they get at least a thousand, maybe I've heard as, as much as 50,000 complaints a day for um different things similar to this. Like my account was hacked, it was lost, it was stolen, I can't log in, somebody's impersonating me. Like it's just endless barrage for them. And so they need a way to quickly go through this. And they, they're, they, <laughs> I think they're trying to get it, but it's just, it's never going to be perfect because it's just the size it is and they just can't possibly handle it all. Susan did the right thing here. She reported it and so did many of her friends. Even though she never got a hold of an actual human at Facebook, now that there's been an extortion attempt, there's something else she can try. 
I think I would open a police report and say, look, this is a sort of cyberbullying and you should, you should know this. Some of the tools they have is that they can go to Facebook and say, we have a warrant. We want to know all the details of this user. Can you please give us information? And by the way, why haven't you banned them? Yeah. Why haven't you disabled their account? But uh, yeah, they can they can get information from Facebook and Facebook has to comply with law enforcement to carry out investigations. Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, you think, well, could this really be a crime? On the other hand, pretty sure extortion is a crime in most places, right? That's what all my friends on Facebook said. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all law professors and they're, come on, you know, this is a crime. I'm like, great. <laughs> and you don't think that by poking the bear, I, I sort of had this feeling that if I just kind of like ignored this person, they would go away. But mm-hmm. you think I ought to sort of start creating the record in case things get worse. Yeah, I would create a record. I would screenshot yeah. what you can and... and yeah. But I do think that it's still fresh, and I think it's in their mind, and I think they may revisit you, and they may escalate it next time. But how did these hackers get into Susan's account in the first place? That thing you talked about where you got your phone number got changed to someone else's thing. This is a, called a SIM swap attack, and it's really unfortunate. But this gives me an idea that, and especially since you told me you reuse passwords, that um, in pretty much every week you look on the the news of of hacker news world and you'll see a data breach that's going on. Um, Some of the bigger ones were LinkedIn and Adobe. And so if your name was in a database which was breached and then hits these uh, criminal circles, um, then it's possible that they have figured out your password. And if they figured out your password and it's reused in multiple sites, um, they can take a data out of that, right? So let's say you're a, a maybe a Hilton you know, member and you have all kinds of Hilton points and your credit cards connected to your Hilton account and they get into your Hilton account, now they can book themselves some free night stay. If you have uh, a Chipotle account uh, and your credit card is connected to your Chipotle account and you like to order online, somebody can get in there, order a burrito for them under your credit card, right? So they're looking for every single possible uh, account that might be valuable to them. Does this mm. make sense? It does. Wow. Yeah. I, I have a question though. So couldn't they do the same thing with the password manager? I think you're asking if you have one password for all of your passwords, because your password manager just needs that one, then what if they get that? Then you're absolutely right. That would be a major problem. However, if your password was in LinkedIn and it's uh, breached and if people can see what that is now, um, that password is not going to be used anywhere else on all of your other accounts. And so it just, it stops there. So, okay. So I'm kind of struck, Jack, by the range of different attacks that you've described. Everything from a burrito to laundering money. <laughs> and I think that's just kind of the head spinning reality that we're in, right? Is there's so many different vulnerabilities, so many different kinds of hackers, so many different motivations. Can you give us sort of a profile of who this kind of hacker might be? We'll get an answer to that question right after the break. Plus, we'll hear about the time Jack's identity was compromised and why he'll never show his face online again. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. 
Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. If you rely on how-to to help protect your printer or your sanity, the best way to support this show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. In fact, it's the number one complaint we get on our reviews is that people don't like hearing ads, which I totally get. And yet somehow we have to pay our rent. So this is your best option. Members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. Plus, you'll be supporting our important work. So if you can, I hope you'll join. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with Susan and Jack Reciter, host of Darknet Diaries. Jack's been trawling the dark web for long enough that he has a pretty good idea of who these hackers are. And it may not be who you think. There's different circles. So you have people who just focus on burritos, just focus on pizzas, right? I mean, that's (laughs) really their whole business model is just, I'm going to make money off of pizzas. And you can go even further. You can say, all right, I've got, you know, a hundred Papa John's accounts that I can order free pizzas from, I'm going to now sell pizzas online. So anybody who wants a pizza, give me $5 or $2, whatever, and I'll send you three pizzas to whatever address you want. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, some people are specializing in data breaches. Some people are specializing in password cracking. And oftentimes it's 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. It's Hmm. such a shame, really. All that energy and all those brains going for such, you know, they, where they could yeah. be going to something so much more productive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so funny how in my head, it's like, you know, some kind of like warehouse in Russia where all this is happening. But right. no, it's like, it's like a basement in Ewing, New Jersey. Some guy wants to prove how, yeah. how smart he is. Yeah. It could even be during his fifth period class. So now that your data is out there, right, and people see that you've got some valuable stuff in your life, whatever it may be, this is kind of your your profile that's sitting on some of these teenagers' computers. It makes sense now why somebody might try to attack you some more, right? Um, This is what's known as the extortion economy. It can turn pretty serious. Somebody could set up a fake tinder profile or something oh gosh and and match with somebody and say just come to my house just walk right in because i'm i'll be expecting you so just walk in the door and so now you have a total stranger who just thought they were meeting someone on tinder walking into your house because somebody decided to give your address oh no yes jack i'm curious you've spoken before about the importance of understanding motives that it's not always about money we've talked a lot about money and burritos and pizzas Are there ever cases where it's more about 
revenge or power? So yeah, I mean, money is clear motivator, but then you have people who are uh, threatened uh, at work. They don't want to see you s succeed at work, so they're going to try doing stuff to you. You've got ex um, relationships, right? Ex partners. You know, I am a law professor, and I put my opinion out there in the world. And sometimes I've wondered if there could be some connection between the two things. I mean, I hope not. And this is the kind of paranoia that, you know, th these kinds of things create. I don't know about you, Susan, but I feel like my heart rate increasing. <laughs> do you feel like that? <laughs> I do. I do. I'm like, oh my God, yes. I got to go guys. I got to go change all my passwords. I'll see you later. Um, <laughs> um, Jack, I, I'm wondering, you know, as someone who is in the public realm, how do you manage your own privacy? Mm. Well, yeah, well, I don't show my face online. I don't uh, express my political views online. I don't show where I live online. I don't say, hey, look at the uh, flowers in my backyard because somebody did see some of the features in the background of a video that I had made and figured out where I took that video, looked up the county records of who owns that house, found my name, and then like sent me a, a letter somehow. It was really strange and creepy. And I realized, mm -hmm. okay, I should not be posting anything that can identify my location or my situation or anything online so that I can stay more private. Wow. So yeah, I feel like it's difficult to unravel this because we as consumers, we want more features. And if we can show us dancing at the club or something and that gets us more likes, then we like that. There's some dopamine hits we get from that. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not share um, things publicly that might be of value to people, right? Oh, that's interesting. So what happened was I changed my the um, backdrop on my Facebook account, and it was this pretty picture. And that backdrop accidentally disclosed that Susan had recently made a large purchase, which led to a lot of comments from her friends. And then two days later, her account was hacked. Well, it sounds to me like this person um, is spending significant time on you, like making this account and friending all your friends and messaging friends and posting photos and then crafting an email to you. This is not just like some, um, high volume bot that's just going out and attacking a whole bunch of people and sending tons of emails out. Um, it seems quite, um, personalized to you. Wow. So here's our next rule. It may be tempting to post that you're on vacation or that you just bought a new car, but don't be lulled into a false sense of security that only your friends are paying attention. Just because you've locked down your accounts doesn't mean everyone in your circle has. It's interesting, I'm wondering if you can, you can help me resolve some conflict in my own marriage. So my husband does cybersecurity work and he is incredibly paranoid in my opinion, about privacy. <laughs> I've learned a lot from him, but, you know, he does things like never uses public Wi-Fi. Um, he is never on Facebook, Twitter, no social media of any kind. What about when he's driving? Does he use maps on the phone? Ah, he uses Apple Maps because he doesn't trust Google Maps. <laughs> what do you think about yeah, that? Well, it's still one of those things that... <laughs> 
your your phone now knows where you are and it knows where you might be headed because you've got a destination and where is that telemetry going and where's all that data going? It's going to Apple and Apple's collecting it and it's storing it and it's telling other users like, hey, there might be a traffic jam here mm -hmm. uh, because your husband was going slow on the freeway during that time, <laughs> right? And so it's it's a wild mix to see what people are acceptable of because, yeah. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot of your, uh, your exact location is being shared when you have that going, right? Do you use so, maps? Well, yeah, because yeah. I like that feature. Of, I know, of, it's such a good feature. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My own tiny example of this, which is not the same as what Susan's had to go through, is that um, about four years ago, we realized that Google Maps had two locations for my house. And it was causing all kinds of silly problems. Um, you know, my dad came to visit. The taxi took him to the wrong place. There's no house there. He, you know, just could not believe that Google Maps was wrong. Like, no one can believe it. So I, I spent all this time working with Google Maps. Like, they have these, you know, automated tools to try to correct errors, and none of the drop-down options really fit. And then finally, I wrote about it in the Washington Post, and, uh, and they fixed it. Wow. And maybe so it's you like, were better off when, when it was the wrong address. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of me was like delighted. I'm like, oh, I'm off the grid. But then like, you know, you no need the grid. No one could come after you. Yeah, yeah. I also couldn't get a pizza. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, and it was sort of sad because after that piece came out, all these people started tweeting and emailing me and asking, how did I get it fixed? Because they have the same problem. You know, I do believe that Google and Facebook could multiply by about 10,000, the number of people dealing with this and still make an obscene amount of money. So um, right. it is it is discouraging. I mean, are we going to get to a point, Jack, where anyone can be hacked? I mean, no matter how much you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. And so what we're dealing with is how much resources does the hacker have and what's their motivation? These people are looking for the low-hanging fruit. They're looking for easy targets. They're looking for uh, maybe big scores, right? So people have a million dollars in their crypto wallets, for example. And so it's uh, something that if they could wow. identify, they're going to go after that. And if you can wear them down, if you can make it uh, painful for them to get to it, then uh, they could give up or look for something else or get arrested in the meantime. Hmm. And so some of the misconception, it sounds like, is that there's nothing we can do, right? It's overwhelming or it's complicated beyond our ability to grasp. And it sounds like you're saying, well, we can, we can reduce the odds. It's like having a deadbolt in your door lock instead of just the doorknob <laughs> lock, right? Like just make yeah. it a little mm -hmm. harder. Yeah, just make it that a little bit harder, and that usually is enough. Here's one more thing you can do to lock your digital deadbolt. Keep your software up to date. It's so easy to hit, remind me later. But guess what? Hackers don't sleep. Make today the day. Just do it. And if you've come away from this episode thinking, ah, I've shared too much. How do I undo this? Jack has a list of other resources that we'll link to in the show notes. I feel both reassured and a little, still a little <laughs> worried about what's going <laughs> to happen next. But um, I, I really feel motivated to take these steps because it doesn't sound anywhere near as complicated as I kind of had told myself it would be. So I'm going to, as soon as we hang up, I'm going to get that password manager and fix my accounts. Thanks to Susan for sharing her deepest, darkest online secrets with us. And to Jack Recider for warning us about burrito burglars and 
pizza pirates and all the other cyber creatures out there. We'll link to his riveting podcast, Darknet Diaries, in the show notes. And by the way, we did get a quick update from Susan. So things are going better for me. I uh, had another sort of scary incident where somebody was trying to change the phone number connected with my Facebook account. So the minute I saw that, I went into my Facebook account, I changed the phone number, I immediately finally got myself a password manager, which wasn't as much of a hassle as I thought it would be. And then I checked and it turned out that the account, the fake account, had been taken down. But I think that's because maybe this guy was trying to get into my real account. But anyway, since that day, nothing bad has happened. So thank you so much for your help. Take care. Susan, you're an inspiration to the rest of us. Thank you. Do you have a hacker horror story with a happy ending? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And that's where you can also send us any other question. If you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Amber Smith. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. Just assume there's always a bear around the next corner. <laughs> and he's hungry. Do you think anyone will even remember the bears at this point? Like, are they going to be like, what the...